Welcome to Hey YA Extra Credit. Every other week opposite the main Hey YA podcast, we'll bring you a short form podcast of YA talk across a wide range of topics. I'm Erica Ezefetti. Lately, I've been on a dystopian kick, which is a little different for me personally. While I am a big lover of science fiction and fantasy, emphasis on the fantasy, I have kind of stayed away from dystopian fiction. Lately, though, I've been really into like post-apocalyptic stories. So if you like to hear a couple of good YA dystopian novels, stay tuned. I'll get to them right after we hear from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by The Dial Press, publishers of The Prospects by KT Hoffman. The pressure cooker of minor league baseball leads to major chemistry in this exhilarating, sexy, and triumphant Rivals to Lovers debut romance. Gene Ionescu is the first openly trans player in professional baseball. He has nearly everything he's ever let himself dream of. That is, until Luis Estrada, Gene's former teammate and current rival, gets traded to the Beavers. Now, Gene and Louise can't manage a civil conversation off the field or a competent play on it, but in the close confines of dugout benches and roadie buses, they begrudgingly rediscover a comfortable rhythm. As the two grow closer, the tension between them turns electric and their chemistry spills past the confines of the stadium. So this is one of the first adult rom-coms published by a major publishing house centering a gay trans man by a gay trans man. It also has ADHD and anxiety representation and some joyful, heartfelt moments. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to The Dial Press, publishers of The Prospects by KT Hoffman for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95 And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Are you looking for the perfect Valentine's gift for your bookish boo? Gift tailored book recommendations. Your boo will tell our professional book nerds about what they love and what they don't, what their reading goals are and what they need more of in their bookish life. Then they sit back while our bibliologists go to work selecting books just for them. TBR has plans for every budget. So surprise your bookish boo with tailored book recommendations this Valentine's and visit mytbr.co slash gift. There will be a link in the show notes. So I'm actually kind of surprised at myself. Like I mentioned before, I'm not a usual reader of dystopian fiction. In fact, I kind of find it depressing sometimes. Well, all the time until now. And I think it's interesting that despite going through an actual pandemic and still being in one, even though people act like we're not, but that's another topic for another day. Anyway, despite experiencing some dystopia worthy things like the pandemic, 
like the reversal of women's rights, like the climate crisis, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's funny that I'm suddenly turning to these things when I didn't before, and I know I'm not the only one. I think they're helpful for processing the things we currently view as major world issues. I think they're validating in a way because they show the future of some of our concerns, albeit in a very exaggerated way. And maybe sometimes not so exaggerated, actually. Maybe kind of realistic if we're being honest, but they're validating. They're also good for helping us see how things could be worse. (laughs) So it helps feel better about the present time. And I feel also like maybe the fact that they show that no matter what, human beings persist and survive is also comforting for some. But yeah, I think the appeal of them is so interesting. And I'd love to hear what you love about dystopian fiction. If you read it often, what do you like about it? If you don't, what don't you like about it? Let me know. Send me a message at heyya at bookriot.com. And while you ponder on those things, I'm going to get into a couple book recommendations. The first is The Good Luck Girls by Charlotte Nicole Davis. This has been described as Westworld meets The Handmaid's Tale, which just honestly sounds very stressful. I mean, all the books, both books I'm going to be talking about are stressful pretty much because dystopia, post-apocalypse, hello. Um, And side note, but I just realized that the last extra credit episode I did by myself was on cozy books. And I feel like this sub genre is the exact opposite. So that's just something interesting that I realized. New year, new me. LOL. Okay, just kidding. Back to the book. It's also a Western and has some sci-fi elements. It follows five girls in the fictional world of Arqueta. As usual, humanity has found a way to separate the haves from the have-nots. And they've done it by money or the lack thereof course. But with that comes the title Dustblood and a process that removed their shadows decades before. Now Dustbloods, who are a poor underclass that consists of sharecroppers, have children who are born with no shadows. So the girls are the daughters of people from this underclass and they were sold to a brothel, which they call a welcome house, with the promise of the girls being taken care of. In the welcome house, when girls reach a certain age, they start having clients And our story starts with Clementine, whose first client ends up dead. So she finds her sister, Aster, and the two of them realize they need to get, they need to get out of there like ASAP before they're killed for the death of the client. Well, unsurprisingly, there are other girls who are unhappy with the house and want to leave too. Their leaving is made complicated though, because they have these cursed markings that identify them as good luck girls which are the, who are the girls that work in the brothels. So they have these identifying markers that make it so they can't leave, which is super depressing. So there's Clementine, Aster, her sister, Violet, Mallow, and Tansy. And each of the girls brings their own distinct personalities and skills to the group. This is one for people who love a good sci-fi Western adventure. Like the girls travel up to get their markings removed. They come up against ghosts other creatures that hunt them, and of course, a highly misogynistic culture that wants to oppress them. Uh, Despite how depressing things can be, it's one of those stories where you get excited when they triumph over the bad guys. And the author has since published the second in the duology titled The Sisters of the Reckoning, which again, just gets you pumped up for some good old vengeance. You know what I mean? So definitely check that out. Next, I have The Marrow Thieves by Cherie de Maline. This takes place in a North America of the future where climate issues have reached the pinnacle of awfulness. People have lost the ability to dream, which has driven them to madness, but this affliction doesn't quite affect everyone. 
Actually, Indigenous Americans are able to dream still, and their bone marrow has a cure inherent to it for the rest of the world. This makes them targets, and if they want to live, they have to stay on the run because the marrow harvesting process is deadly. The government covers this harvesting process. They cover it up, basically, by kidnapping Indigenous children and sending them to, quote, schools. Hmm. Which sounds uncomfortably familiar. The people who kidnap them are called recruiters. And early on, there is a group of Native kids who are rescued by Miguans, who leads the group north. There they they live for years, always keeping an eye out and living in fear, basically. They travel the dystopian landscape trying to survive, mostly sleeping on the ground and in tents, but occasionally finding things like abandoned hotels and things like that. So it's like a typical like survival, like traveling through the dystopian landscape and survival type of story in that regard. Whew. But this one has so many implications for, again, as I said earlier, like dystopian novels and post-apocalyptic novels. They touch on things that are currently going on, like the really good ones, I think, anyway. They touch on things that are currently going on or hint at where things could go if we continue down a certain road. And this, The Marrow Thieves by Shariti Maline is just, <laughs> I mean, everything has, all of that has basically happened except for the lack of dreaming, the like losing the ability to dream in the bone marrow thing. But it's like super duper close to what actually happened. Um, So all around a great book. So yeah, I think either one of those will depress you in the in the way that a good dystopian will. I've been like I said before, I've been leaning into that like very I don't know lost hope, losing hope kind of thing with books lately. Sometimes it's helpful to read sad books or depressing books help you like process your own emotions i think so definitely pick both of those up and thanks so much for tuning in today as well as our sponsor for making the day show possible you can follow me on twitter at erica underscore eze underscore big shout out to jen zinc our audio editor for making me sound great we will see you next week on the main podcast where i will be joined by tears of price until next week happy reading happy reading